It's the informed consent, you know, exactly. Are, do you, are you really informed on the church that you are paying money to mm. and where they're putting that money? Are you really informed with the, the teachings and the history of your organization? Because if you're not informed, are you really a member? Do you even know what you believe? Welcome to the Babel podcast. I'm your host, Paige Brees. And I am so happy to have you here for some raw and real conversation. People say you should never discuss politics, money, or religion. Well, not here. This is a safe space to dive deep into how religion as a whole has affected our hearts, our minds, and our world. (laughs) The good, the bad, and the ugly. We all have a seat at the table, and I invite you to sit with me as I talk with religious leaders, experts, and friends alike. So, without further ado, let's babble. Alrighty. Hi, everybody that's listening. Thank you so much for tuning into another amazing episode of the Babel podcast. I am here again with the incredible Kelsey Slay Roberts. Um, if you haven't listened to our first conversation, I highly recommend you go back and listen to it because her story is incredible. Um, she is an ex-Mormon and is a very vocal um, advocate for what that means and the kind of issues with the Mormon church um, and how they tend to be a bit more abusive than people let on or that people understand. And she is just an incredible voice um, for that community. So I'm so happy to have her on again because we had way too many things to talk about the first time. Uh, This time we are diving into more specifically how the Mormon church is involved politically um, in the United States. And um, I did not realize that there was so much that the Mormon church was involved in, but we are really going to dive into that today. Um, So Kelsey, thank you so much for coming back and talking to me again. My pleasure. (laughs) So happy. I'm so happy to have you. Um, So uh, to my understanding, we are starting with uh, women's rights. Is that correct? Yeah. Amazing. Let's dive right in. Let's do it. Okay. So I guess a little bit of context with what the ERA or the Equal Rights Amendment is. Um, So shortly after women got the right to vote back in the 20s, um, two women named Alice Paul and Crystal Eastman drafted the first form of the ERA to send to to send to Congress, sorry. This is back in 1923. And so ever since then, it appeared before Congress every single year, but never got pushed beyond that. Um, So then in the 1970s was the first time that Congress kind of like took it seriously, looked at it and um, then sent it off. So it got passed through Congress, but it had to be sent off to state legislatures Mm -hmm. and they needed 38 states to ratify it before it could be passed as like the, what is it? I think it's like the 26th amendment to the constitution. So um, what the ERA does is it's supposed to um, legalize or illegalize any discrimination mm-hmm. based off sex and gender. Um, and that would go, that would affect like matters of divorce, property, employment, pay wages, um, things like that. Mm-hmm. So 
1977, uh, Congress gave like a, um, a deadline for how many states could ratify it. So if, if it would be passed or not. And they got 35 states out of 38. Mm-hmm. And then shortly after that, five states rescinded their ratification. And so then we were back down to 30. And in the 1980s, they gave a new deadline for 38 states the U.S. still didn't meet it. And so it's just kind of been sitting on the forefront of the political agenda mm. ever since since the 80s. So it hasn't been like officially adopted by the Constitution. It's just kind of been sitting there. Mm-hmm. And then it went a little dormant on uh, the last few decades. And so then back around 2018, it kind of resurfaced. Um, and then like Nevada um, gave their ratification And, um, so now we're reaching 38 States finally, as of like 20, 2019, 2020. So that's kind of the context of what the ERA is. Right. Um, and so back in the seventies with the first initial big push, of course, in like civil rights and, and social, um, rights, the, the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormon church, they were very vocal against the ERA. Um, and I have some quotes actually for what they said about it. Perfect. And, um, so they said that it's deceptively simple language deals with practically every aspect of American life without considering the possible train of unnatural consequences, which could result because of its very vagueness, encouragement of those who seek a unisex society an increase in the practice of homosexual and lesbian activities and other concepts, which could alter the natural God-given relationship of men and women. It would strike at the family, the basic institution of society. ERA would bring ambiguity to the family structure, which could encourage legal conflict in the relationship of husband and wives. So their premise for why they were against the ERA was, you know, the religious doctrine of marriage being between one man and one woman. Mm-hmm. And um, they didn't want men and women to be equal because that would remove like gender roles and the innate God-given differences between men and women, essentially. Right. And right. of course, that could bring further progress with LGBTQ rights, redefining marriage, and it can't have any of that. It's a slippery slope is basically what they're trying to yeah. say. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um, what they did, though, was let me. Sorry, I'm looking through my notes. No, you're fine. Take your time. Um, yeah. So what they did was they essentially created unions of women, um, LDS men, to campaign publicly against the ERA, saying that like women didn't want it, um, that it was anti-God, anti-religion, um, and protecting the sanctity of marriage. And, you know, 38 states, including Utah, Utah did not ratify it because mm-hmm. um, the, the people voted against it. But so, of course, like, Overall, the ERA has not passed, but the LDS Church was very public in its denouncement of it, organizing lobbies, organizing campaigns of women, um, and just, you know. (laughs) Just saying, nah, don't do it. Yeah, which is just frustrating for sure. Well, of course, yeah. Yeah, and well, and so Utah back in 2019, they were facing the opportunity to ratify 
um, the ERA statewide. Mm -hmm. And the LDS Church came out publicly again with a statement saying mm -hmm. that they were against the ERA. I'm sorry if you can hear that airplane. Um, oh, no worries. That, that, okay, I was wondering what that was. Airport. But Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we're not far from the airport. That's fine. No worries. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So um, as recently as 2019, the church continues to publicly oppose the ratification of the ERA in Utah. Mm -hmm. um, and they're still facing that even today. So mm -hmm. it's a long history with the church opposing the advancement of equal rights for women politically. Right. And um, still happening. So. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm sure this is, this is a question that's going to permeate into everything else we're going to discuss, but what is the, or I guess the better way to word the question is, are there any uh, political figures in Utah or Idaho um, that are very affiliated with the Mormon church or are Mormon themselves? Like, are, are they sitting in seats of government power? Um, well, there's the classic Mitt Romney, which right. everybody now knows is a Mormon. Mm -hmm. um, I know he's still in an office. I don't think it's specifically with Utah. I think it's yeah. like Congress wise or <laughs> in the state, but um, I don't personally know of like the political structure of Utah because sure. I've never lived in Utah. So I yeah. don't know like the governor, if he's a member, mm -hmm. even though the governor just this last weekend of Utah kind of went a little viral. Oh, my camera shut off. That's okay. I could still hear you. <laughs> <laughs> he went a little viral on the internet a bit infamously because he asked all of Utahns to pray for rain. So he asked for a, a statewide weekend of prayer uh, oh. for rain and the drought instead of implementing better uh, legal systems for managing water. And yeah, naturally, it's just a very classic, like it's easier to pray than to, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. than to implement infrastructure. Yes. But as we're going to find out like a little bit later with some other issues, um, Utah does really struggle with the separation of church and state. Mm. The Mormon church is, really influential especially with a lot of money but they're right. very influential with the state policies mm -hmm. in utah um they have a really astronomical tax on alcohol because wow. we don't drink as mormons mm. and so it's very difficult to get alcohol licenses in utah it's a just a really high tax yeah um the highest in the whole country so things like that and the yeah. lack of like sex education in public schools. Mm, well, that's state uh, nationwide. <laughs> yeah. But, and, and of course the church does have their own legal team of lawyers and attorneys All called right. Kirk and McConkie. And the, the prophet has two assistants called the, the presidency. Um, and one of those is a lawyer so a lot of the quorum of the 12 have high ranking positions in their own fields as former lawyers and former attorneys, mm -hmm. um, in the past, former politicians. Um, yeah, so, so it's, a it's, lot of yeah, access. it's very clear that the, it's also made very clear that the church feels the need to have a legal team. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, and there's you know, that can be viewed from multiple different viewpoints, you know, it's, oh, to yeah. just protect themselves from other 
you know, institutions mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. things that could possibly bring them, you know, bring slander against them. Or it could be oh. because, oh, they have stuff that they need to have taken care of or they have yeah. agendas. And then like as a side note, if you ever want to officially become not a Mormon, you have to go through the attorney side with Kirk and McConkey to legally remove your records from the church. Otherwise, so like I consider myself an ex-Mormon. However, the church has my name and a number associated to my name within their records, and they will always have it, um, even after I die, um, on their records, and they count that as part of their membership. And so mm. for me to remove that so the church doesn't own my name anymore, I have to get a notarized form and go through an attorney and take it up with their attorney branch. Oh, that's so interesting. So it's like, so you as a member of the church almost have like your own, it's like a social security number for the church. Yeah. We have a membership number that you're given when you're baptized and that number is associated with all of your covenants that you take your Mm -hmm. temple um, activity, as well as records any sins that you needed um, like Bishop intervention with your rap to overcome. (laughs) Sorry. What I said, your rap sheet. (laughs) Oh, yes, exactly. So, <laughs> and, you know, they keep tabs um, on their members. And, Naturally. Yeah. So that's tough. But, yeah, absolutely. That is so interesting that you have to go through a whole legal, um, like, set of steps, a system um, to to formally leave something like that or to have your records removed. Like, do, do you... I don't know another church that does that. But. Yeah, no, I don't either. I mean, I'm very... I'm very ignorant when it comes to any religion really other than Christianity, but I've never known your typical non-denominational Christian church to be that in, involved with their members. That's it's definitely um, tough because as Mormons, you're baptized at eight and no eight-year-old realizes that they're entering a legal agreement with that church. Yeah. To be a member for the rest of its life. Yeah. Uh, and eight, you know, children can't legally consent to things. So right. it's a... Uh, lack of informed consent, ethical issue, but, mm, mm. but I know that's like a bit of a side tangent. Just no. Um, yeah, definitely. But I mean, I, I political, the extent of the political power in both a systemic level and an individual level mm. for members. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's crazy. Okay. So yeah, obviously women's rights and the ERA have been influenced heavily by the, the Mormon church. Um, yeah, so there's one. <laughs> Right. So the next few um, sections in my notes just kind of deal with the advancement of LGBTQ rights, which Mm. is just fitting for Pride Month right now. Yeah, I was about to say happy Pride. (laughs) Yay! Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so, um, because, you know, like before it became legal uh, US-wide, it was a a state individual basis. And so Hawaii and Alaska were one of those earlier states that were dealing with... um, legalizing marriage for gay people or same-sex people Mm -hmm. and so back in 1994 there was um a case where a um gay couples tried to sue essentially hawaii um, because they couldn't have um a legalized marriage and so Mm -hmm. it ended up going to the hawaii supreme court and this became like a essentially like a, a 10 12 year 
journey with this case trying to have legalized same-sex marriage Mm -hmm. um so it is a long history and i'm just kind of gonna go through like the most important parts of the church's involvement because they were involved in every step of the process but it's long Mm, yeah so um a little bit before 1994 back in 1988 the church contracted the uh, a hawaii marketing agency called hill and knowlton to monitor and promote the church's stance on gay issues in state legislatures and the u.s congress so essentially the church kind of put a plant into hawaii um, several years before any of this happened with the same sex marriage legalization just to kind of keep tabs on what the public attitude was towards same-sex Uh, marriage, as well as the church's influence just on a people level. And, um, and just from like my own personal research with the church, I, there are like leaked interviews on YouTube called, I think like Mormon leaks. And, (laughs) and, and so there are leaked recordings of the general authorities having boardroom meetings where they talk about statistics and worldwide issues and um, just kind of like problems facing different countries and how that affects the church or what the church can do to be involved in it. So it's not surprising to see, you know, to read that back in 1988, the church had a little bit of a plant with an advertising company in Hawaii to maintain influence and to kind of keep information going back to Salt Lake City. Yeah. So one function of working through this marketing agency was that the name of the church was separated from the legislative efforts that the firm then undertook. So Mm. because they went through a marketing agency, it did provide some separation from the direct involvement of the church in what would end up being the next like 15 years. Uh, So then in December, 1990, Like I said, there were three, sorry, three same-sex couples applied for marriage licenses at the Hawaii State Department of Health, and they were refused. So they filed a suit in a case that's now known as Bayer versus Mike. And then in May 1993, the Hawaii Supreme Court ruled that the state's refusal to issue marriage licenses constitutes sex discrimination under Hawaii law. And the discrimination may only be practiced if the state can demonstrate a compelling public interest in denying marriage to same-sex couples. So now we can see the importance of the church having a marketing agency that they're working with in Mm -hmm. Hawaii to kind of set the public attitude or or to help influence public attitude. I won't say they controlled all of it, but if you have influence, you have influence. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So then, um, so then a little bit later that same month, the 1993, one of the apostles at the time who's in the, who's in the, the 12, right. So the prophet, and then he has 12 apostles, like in the new Testament. Okay. So one of those apostles at the time was called Boyd K. Packer. And he gave an address at a meeting of the all church coordinating council and refers to homosexuality as one of the three major social problems that represents a danger to members. And um, then a little bit later, the next year in February, the first presidency. So the church, gives an official statement on this 
and said that we encourage members to appeal to legislators, judges, and other government officials to preserve the purposes and sanctity of marriage between a man and a woman and to reject all efforts to give legal authorization or other official approval or support to marriages between persons of the same gender. Mm-hmm. So they give an official statement to all of the members of the church, especially particularly in Hawaii, saying, hey, please vote against this. Like, please make it known that you as the public don't want this because that's what the whole, that was the condition of the Hawaii Supreme Court. Right. Um, yeah, so, sorry, you look like you're asking a question. No, I'm just thinking, I'm just kind of sitting with that. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, it's not, it's certainly not the first time I've heard of a church leader, you know, compelling their, their congregations to vote one way or the other. Yeah, but I know the Catholic church kind of has that same sort of precedence. Yeah, for sure. Political spheres as well. Yeah. And I mean, even just my, I can recall a couple of times that my home church leaders would do the same when mm-hmm. I was growing up in that church. Um, I didn't know what they were talking about because I was in high school and didn't really care. Um, but I do remember them saying relatively candidly that like, Hey, this is, mm-hmm. you know, there are things going on in the government that are against what we believe and make sure you stay true to your convictions and speak the word of God and blah, 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 blah. you know, all of that wording, yeah, um, which is an ethical issue. Like all on that zone is mm. should, should religious organizations be uh, influencing their members, how to vote right with their own free will. Right. And, um, so yeah, absolutely. Interesting. I don't think it's ethical, but (laughs) no, I don't think so either. (laughs) Uh, Not at all. It's emotional manipulation at, at its, you know, at its first point. Yeah. Um, Yes. I agree with you. And it's, um, yeah. And then if you want to go into the, yeah, the ethics of it on a political level, that's a whole nother conversation as well. But yeah. Um, so just for clarification for myself and for anyone who's listening, who isn't aware of the Mormon church and how it's kind of structured, you mentioned there's the prophet and he has 12 apostles, just like in like what you typically think of in the new Testament with Jesus right. and his apostles. And yeah. that is, is that kind of how the leadership is structured in the Mormon church as of right now? There's a guy who's like the dude, and then he's got his, account, he's got, <laughs> yeah, his like there's a little bit more detailed structures because as the church grew mm-hmm. through time, they needed ways to organize right because they call them it's a worldwide church is what they say and they which that is true they they they're in a lot of countries Mm -hmm. um so yeah the whole premise of the religion is that it's a restored gospel the restored truth of christianity that was found in the bible and so just like in the bible there was a prophet or in the new testament specifically there was a prophet and 12 apostles and we still have that now that's how it's always been since Mm -hmm. It was reorganized by Joseph Smith in 1830. And so we currently have a prophet. Um, he has 12 apostles. And then under that, we have what's called Quorum of Seventies. And these are just kind of like area officials. It's, okay. sort of, it's like a pyramid, right? Which yeah. Is, Mormons are very involved in MLMs. So it's kind <laughs> of shaped like a pyramid scheme. <laughs> I love you that. Your head guy, your 12 guys under him. Your quorum of 70, well, there's actually four quorum of 70s um, that are area authorities around the world. And then under those quorum of 70s, kind of break off into 
uh, steak, which is um, like a, a, a local level. So back okay. in our hometown in Frisco, we had a Frisco steak. And then under a steak is between like five and 12 wards. And those are the local organizations. Okay. Um, <laughs> and these people, like a, the wards for say, like is the ward the guy who would typically speak at your temple or... Like no, so the ward has each ward has their own bishop, and the bishop is kind of like the pastor um, okay. of an organization of like 200 people. And um, at the temples, it's its own separate system. You have a temple president, um, and then different offices are held in temples. Okay. That's just kind of like its own thing off to the side. Okay. Um, okay. Cool. It's cool. its own special like calling, but okay. Great. So the yeah, prophet of the so church like, is the, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, that's okay. Um, so the, is the prophet of the church considered like the, like the Pope would be for the Catholic church? Yes. Got yeah, it. Absolutely. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Got and, it. Um, and Mormons believe the prophet speaks for the entire earth, regardless if you are Mormon or not. Oh. He is the only chosen person on the earth who speaks to God directly. Oh, well, so. that's news to me. I wish I would have known earlier. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, that's why all those missionaries are out trying to ah. tell you about it. <laughs> yeah, so we tend to look at the Pope as like a sham. Um, Got it. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of historical conflict <laughs> between Mormons and Catholics. <laughs> I can see why. Yeah, that makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. So I just wanted to clarify that for people listening yeah, it's they a, might not it's, know it's a little the, confusing yeah i mean any any religions interworkings is going to be confusing um yeah kind of just making connections and figuring out yes what, what and we definitely means. have our own specific lingo that mm. is difficult to explain <laughs> <laughs> sure no that's totally words and stakes like don't mean anything to other people you know <laughs> right i mean yeah you think you say ward and i think of like oh you know like in Back in the olden days, someone would have like their ward that wasn't their child, but they took care of. Like that's their right. ward. Yeah. And then a stake is like, yeah, oh, you mean like a wooden stake? There's no the like contextual help <laughs> to figure out these terms. <laughs> yeah, absolutely not. But okay, cool, 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 cool. Okay, so yeah, so the Mormon Church has had a lot of influence upon legislation for the LGBTQ community. Um, yeah. Um, And then like going back into Hawaii. So the LDS church then tried to petition the Hawaii Supreme court to become co-defendants with the state in this particular case, in order to protect freedom of religion, to solemnize marriages between a man and a woman under Hawaiian law. And this got, this ended up being denied um, by the Hawaii Supreme court because they were essentially told that as a religious organization, you don't have any definitive property to show that your beliefs are being infringed on. Mm -hmm. Like there's nothing concrete, right? There's no specific doctrine that you can point to. Yeah. Um, Which then of course the church made one to (laughs) come back and petition the courts with. And um, this ended up creating in 1995, the, this is a very like beloved doctrine. Every Mormon has a copy of this hanging in their living room or somewhere in their house. It's called oh, the wow. proclamation to the world or the family proclamation to the world. And it deliberately states that 
marriage is between a man and a woman. It's, it explains very concrete gender roles. Women are supposed to be the caretakers of the home and of the children and um, are the nurturers and men are the providers and they preside over the family with authority. Um, so those are like the main concepts of, it also talks about how spirits are gendered in the pre-existence that because there, there's not a lot of acceptance for trans people either. Mm. Um, it's very like anti-doctrinal. So the roots of that type of doctrine comes from this letter, the proclamation to the world um, that you're an infinite spirit. And so you were a man or a woman in the pre-existence before the earth life, and you will continue to be the same after you die. Um, so those like big, those are the big topics, but Got so it. then they, they created a doctrine writing in stone I have like studied this. I have been taught lessons about this my whole life. Like this was heralded as God's continuing revelation. Essentially scripture is what it's equated to. In and they wrote it in, in 1995. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <Great>. Which of <laughs> course, like none of us knew anything that was going on and how mm. that related to the Hawaii same sex marriage equality act. But right. um yeah. So when the Hawaii Supreme Court said, like, you don't have any property to to back you up as to why you should be codependents in this case, the church was like, OK, we'll get on that. Yeah. <laughs> and then they published it like months later. <laughs> wow. Um, and now they had concrete scripture, concrete doctrine. Um, however, the, the court still didn't accept this after that. Um, I don't know specifically, like, whatever they judged that as but it still right. didn't work and then the church still like kept to the the proclamation forever after mm. um yeah it's so interesting to me to hear any religious institution come into a political argument like this and say oh it's against the freedom of religion or oh it's we're trying to ensure the freedom of religion um yeah <laughs> it's like clearly you do see how that clearly doesn't add up, right? It, your your inten your intention is to oppose a person's freedoms, first of all, to do as, you know, to marry who they want. And also, you don't know what their religion is. You don't know if their religion says it's cool. And if their religion does say it's cool, shouldn't they be able to do that if you're fighting for freedom of religion? You know what I mean? It's, yeah. It yeah. seems very, to me, it's from the outside. Again, I'm not in a religious institution anymore. So I might just be jaded, but it seems like it's a very clear um, contradiction when people put forth something like that. Yeah. And then as a Mormon though, you, you believe you have the truth. This mm. is the, and there's, there's a famous quote by one of these apostles um, from Dieter F. Uchtdorf. And he says, truth is truth, even if nobody believes in it. So the truth of the gospel is true, even if you're not a Mormon, even mm. if you're not a member, even if you've never heard of this religion, it applies to you because it's the absolute truth. And, and so I think that's what gives, you know, like this organization so much authority and power to get involved in mm. political campaigns and, and statutes and laws, because it, it's not just like, Oh, let's be mindful of other religions who may support LGBTQ marriages. It's and it doesn't matter if they do because they're wrong. 
we, yeah, they're wrong. Mm. And we're doing what God tells us to do, even if that's not ethically correct. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So we see that now, but as a Mormon, I was like, well, of course they're defending. Mm. (laughs) It's obvious. As they should. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, that's very true. Cause again, I, I thought that way about certain things when I was in the Christian church too, as Mm -hmm. like, like a senior year of college and, or not college, senior year of high school. And then moving into college when I did pay more attention, not, not a, a ton, but more attention to political spheres. And, um, like I can think of very vividly, um, the summer between our sophomore and junior years of college when, um, nationwide legalization of same sex, same sex marriage was announced. I literally woke up that morning and checked my phone and it was obviously all over social media and all of that. And I was still very much a Christian at that time. And I remember feeling like, Oh fuck. Like, like, yeah. Some like trepidations. Yeah. Fear. Being like, Oh my God, like, this is, I felt really heavy. I felt really like, I didn't you were know. Like what, the world is ending. Well, yeah, <laughs> I was like, what do I, the rapture what, is coming. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what do I do? I, I can't, well, what does this mean? How do I feel about this? Yeah. I don't even know because I was, I know it, it was it's, a very it's so strange silly time. now. Yeah. Like now I'm like, well, I'm part of the community now. And I like, <laughs> right. How does that even happen? How does it even work? Um, it's just, yeah, it's amazing to look back on it now and things like the things we're discussing now in terms of how politically involved um, religious institutions can become when it seems like it shouldn't be something they should be involved in. But when you're, when you're in the institution, it's obvious that you should be involved in it because it's your duty. It's your obligation to yeah, it's protecting your religious rights. It's, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. I know that brainwashing is very intense. Oh my God. It's real. <laughs> <laughs> so real. Yeah. Oh, um, and then the last like little notes that I have about this Hawaii case is that yeah. after they got denied again to be codependents in it, the, in 1996, the LDS church instructed its marketing agency that they have in Hawaii mm-hmm. uh, to develop a plan for setting up a group, kind of like a lobbying group, which is called the Hawaii's future today. And they serve, yeah, as a formal lobbying group to approach the legislature, the courts and the public on issues regarding same-sex marriage and this marketing company has been contracted many times over by the church to monitor and promote its efforts in state legislatures and the U.S. And um, in 1996, its top heads of this marketing group were offered unlimited funds by the LDS church to fund this public campaign, um, essentially propaganda. So they yeah. got involved in newspapers, um, magazines, like formal speaking groups, formal events. And, um, so yeah, that's unlimited funds is what I read was recorded um, to publicly campaign the public opinion against same sex people. That's literally, yeah, that's literally propaganda. Like you said, (laughs) that is so intriguing Uh, and terrifying and interesting. All at the same time. Yeah. And, you know, amazingly, despite all that, same sex um, marriage was still legalized in Hawaii. But 
Good. It's yeah, it's just a little insidious that your religious yeah. organization is using your tithing money that you're supposed to pay, which you don't have any say in how they use it. Right. It, using it in politics. Yeah. I mean, I've heard people, I've heard people in the Christian sphere describe tithing to me in kind of equating it to the tax payer system, how it's like, I mean, they're, they say, oh, it's much better than that. Like you're not paying taxes. Like taxes are stupid. We don't like taxes, but (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's the same kind of concept where you are giving your money to and, and you, you might not get to choose where it goes, but you know, it's going to go towards something that will ultimately benefit the church or benefit the, the church, like the body of Christ, like the people or yeah whatever. And Mormons and, are very strict about tithing compared to like mainstream Christians. Like so? it's a law, we call it a law of tithing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to pay tithing. So you pay 10% of every paycheck. Mm-hmm. Um, it's technically supposed to be the gross of every paycheck. So before mm. taxes are taken out, you pay 10% of the church because it's Christ's money. And we're taught that Christ gave you money, like, right? So God gives you money mm-hmm. to meet your bills. And so you owe him 10% of your income as a sacrifice of gratitude. Mm-hmm. And in return, you will get financial blessings. You'll get health blessings, safety, prosperity blessings, Um, so it's super conditional (laughs) and then you have to be a full-time tithe payer. So you meet with your Bishop once a year to go over essentially your tax statement. I was going to say that. Yeah. It sounds like tax season. Yeah. So you (laughs) sit down with your Bishop and what's called a tithing settlement and you look at the numbers of how much you pay tithing every year in a full out transcript. And you are supposed to then tell your bishop, is this a full and honest tithe or do you owe more money because you skipped somewhere in the year? And if you are a full-time tithe payer, you then qualify for your temple recommend, which you can use to enter the temple to be worthy of heaven. So if you are not paying your 10% of all of your income every year, then you are not worthy to get into heaven. And you will not get that recommend that says that you're worthy. It's like a, it's like a badge of worthiness, essentially. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a direct reflection of um, what the Catholic church was doing for a long time where you, where you had to pay your way um, into heaven, which is so, so intriguing to me. Um, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. It's the same concept. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, my, I love that it's, I wonder, like, why is it 10%? Like, is it, that, is that just a number that was uh, I decided upon? In, I think that might be in the Bible. I'm not okay. 100% sure. Um, okay. But then at some point, like, that just became a, a rule, like, decades and decades ago by yeah. a prophet. No, absolutely. I'm, I'm curious because my mom also, she, when she tithed, um, to, when we were at our home church, she, every week, she tithed, but I think she split up what was the equivalent of 10% of her paychecks mm-hmm. into these weekly tithe payments. Like, I think, I think she did the same thing. So I'm wondering if that is something that's very clear in the Bible and I just don't remember it. Mm, yeah. I, I'm not sure specifically, but when we left the church, we got a 10% income raise, like, and it's, it's really sad how much, like I look back at old budgets we had in our Excel sheet and I'm like, 
<laughs> the amount of money we were just giving burning through yeah I, I, I. <laughs> it just makes you sick like <laughs> no absolutely absolutely and it's and that's something too because I like tithing is a whole nother discussion um as a religious condition as well um and the ethics of that but it's I remember struggling with that as a youth in high school um because I'd see I you know for years I'd seen my mom put a check in the tithing bowl every time it came by yeah. uh, on Sunday mornings. And when I started making my own money, cause I worked in high school, mm-hmm. you know, I was like, I really, you know, I was, I was a kid, but I was like, I don't want to give my money to the, am I supposed to? Yeah. I, I was like, mom, what if I don't like, you know, I really need this money to go do the thing I want to do with my friends next week. But like, do I have to give 10% of this to the church. And my mom was very, she was like, no, you don't. Like, <laughs> and I've been paying tithing I since to. I was eight. Like, yeah. Oh my, since you were eight? Birthday what? money, gift cards. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. It was just like what you did. You didn't even no. think about it. Like, oh, just my paying God. forever. Since you're eight years old, like, come on. Yes. And I would go sit in those tithing settlements with my parents when I was a kid and I would get my own transcript of money that I paid as a child, you know, and it might be like $50, like $20 at sure. the end of the year, sure. but I got my own transcript and I reviewed it. And I told my Bishop as a, you know, a 10 year old or a 15 year old, like, yeah, I'm a full tithe payer. <laughs> I get to go to heaven. Cause I did it this year. So I know. So wait, so that happens every single year. So if you are, so essentially, I guess what it, what that means is if you are short one year and you don't pay it, but you're like, but then the next year, what if you do pay in full? Like, do you still not, you, can you still not get to heaven? Cause you still owe that little bit. Like, how does that, how does no, that work? And you're, your wrongs are right. And and I mean, to be fair, there is some nuance depending mm-hmm. on your bishop. Some bishops might be more strict about that. Oh, of course you could lie. It is kind of like an honor system thing. You could okay. lie and, and say like, yeah, I paid everything I owe and you really didn't. Got it. Bishop's not going to know. Okay. Or so if you have they, a bishop and you like, say, yeah, I missed some paychecks, your bishop might just kind of wave it off and be like, that's eh, not a big deal. Okay. It really, I see. Bishop roulette, depending on your experience. I love that. <laughs> bishop roulette. Which one are you going to get today? Um, yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious. I love that. Okay. So like th- they're not as invasive as to be keeping tabs on your your salary and things like that. I just, mean, no, not okay. already more invasive as it already is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. Okay. We're, we have at least a boundary there somewhere. That's good to know. Yeah, I know. That's good. To but know. I know that we're like running a little short, I think on time. And there was one that I think I wanted to talk about a little oh, bit more. Oh yeah, please. Yeah. Let's um, go. I'm just going to lightly skip over Alaska that happened in 1998. They had their own, um, you know, are we going to pass same-sex marriage? Mm-hmm. Is that, or not? Anyway, so the church donated half a million dollars into a different lobbying group in Alaska. This The same sort of stuff right. that we've already got. Okay, so they invested in propaganda. They invested half a million, yeah. And, okay. and I, oh, it was called the Family Coalition, Alaska Family Coalition. That was the lobbying group. They donated half a got million. Um, and that was to go towards television, radio, print advertising, um, door-to-door canvassing, so more propaganda. Okay. And that was under Proposition 2 in 1998. So, Got it. 
Um, okay, so skipping over that, we get the gist there. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, yeah. What's next? So the one that like a big one that happened in our lifetime was Proposition Eight in California. This was back mm. in two thousand eight, mm-hmm. and Prop Eight was to ban same sex marriage. And um, so we were in eighth grade at this time. And I remember hearing about this kind of the same way we described like in high school where you had that feeling of like dread almost. Mm -hmm. And I remember feeling that in middle school because the adults in my community, my Mormon community were talking about if they pass same sex marriage, you know, because California is kind of seen as the gatekeeper for culture in the rest of the u.s like california does something first other states are going to follow type of Mm -hmm. attitude Mm -hmm. and so that's how they viewed same-sex marriage with california and they were like if they legalize same-sex marriage like we're no longer going to protect be protected anymore and then our states are like texas right this Mm -hmm. is in texas texas is gonna be like the last place always (laughs) to be To follow California standards. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know why we were so scared. (laughs) Because you 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 are. That's what you do. Right. (laughs) And and they the big fear in our community was that because we do marriages in temples Mm -hmm. and those are only for street relationships. We don't marry same-sex relationships and so if it got legalized, and this happened again in high school with the Supreme Court case Mm -hmm. but if it got legalized somewhere at some point our um, temples will be forced by the government to allow same-sex marriages or perform same-sex marriages that you know government control republican attitudes are kind of creeping in there and Mm -hmm. you know so so mormons on the ground level are like separation of church and state protect our rights and then the head honchos are like no we're absolutely <laughs> conflating. <laughs> no separation of church and state. We have <laughs> and we're to be not there. getting but on like two polar opposite ends. <laughs> mm. And um, so uh, Mormon leadership in Salt Lake City, where it's all based out of, they issued a four paragraph decree that was to be read in all the congregations. And I remember my so this is to all the wards, all the bishops were given mm. a letter by the prophet and the 12 apostles to be read over the pulpit on Sunday. And it was this kind of like fear mongering letter of this is what's going on in California. And the letter urged all members to travel to California if they were able to donate their money to campaigns uh, for prop eight, preventing gay marriage and to go canvas door to door to the people in California to, to get them to vote for prop eight. Um, and so like people did that, like the adults in my community went and did that. My husband's mom, like she, I don't think she actually did, but my husband remembers how her mom really wanted to, like really wanted to go to California, canvas door to door against gay marriage. Um, and so because of like the contributions of Mormons, $5 million were raised for prop eight. Um, and given to different lobbying groups, wow. you know, just like in all the other states, right? Um, and a few in California, yeah. Um, and this this decree that was read over the pulpits was the formation of families essential to the Creator's plan, and they were just really urging members like, "This is your religious duty. Get involved. 
Um, you have a religious duty to be in the polls. They're very, Mormon culture is also very like nationalistic. Mm. Um, fight for your country. There's a, there's a lot of nationalism, <laughs> some toxic QAnon so, relationships. I was about to ask, is there a yes. little bit of Q's clues? In yeah, there? actually 15% of QAnon members are Mormons. Um, oh, so another cult. <laughs> very interesting. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it gets a little fascist at times. Uh-huh. Um, but anyways, so people that went canvassing door to door, they wanted to make sure that they weren't being anti-gay. They were just pro-marriage. And that was the mantra that we all, I say we is like my collective culture, not me personally, mm-hmm. but that's what we used canvassing door to door was we are pro-marriage, not anti-gay. Preserve family values. Preserve traditional marriages. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, we don't hate gay people. <laughs> we just can't like, let them get married. <laughs> right. <laughs> you can do what you want. Just don't get married. Yes. That's um, it. That's it. Don't have families. I know. So in the end, so this lobbying group, sorry, was called Protect Marriage. Mm-hmm. And they estimate that at the end of this whole like campaign journey, they had raised $40 million just like from everywhere. Wow. Um, but at the end, 20 million of that came from Mormons. So half of all of that funding, 20 million came from the contributions of Mormons. Wow. Um, and prop eight did get passed. Um, and that is from all the articles I was reading. That was, it's been greatly contributed to Mormons for why mm-hmm. prop eight passed and same sex marriage continue to be banned until you know later on in our high school years yeah but or college even wasn't it college it was somewhere in that transitionary yeah I don't remember ex- the exact year but it was I, th- I thought it was somewhere. like 20, 2014 2015 or something like that it yeah. might have been like right yeah. after high school but regardless yeah. um regardless yeah that from 08 until then that's almost seven mm-hmm. years yeah it was, uh yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. And the interesting thing, though, is that, be, I mean, and, and they like made another campaign in, in Mexico the same way that they did in Alaska and in um, uh, Hawaii. So there's another case in, in Mexico that was very similar to those. Uh, but after all of these types of things, like the church lost a lot of members because there were a lot of members who were supportive of LGBTQ rights Mm. and they hemorrhaged a lot of membership. And so because of that, they've kind of have backed off about LGBTQ issues Mm -hmm. ever since then, like in the last decade. Interesting. Um, However, though, because gay rights were given um, as a whole, like federally Mm -hmm. um, in response to that, the church did, internally have a, a policy that they made in 2015, which is probably about that same time frame that the Supreme Court Supreme Court passed. Uh, yeah. But internally they made a new policy in response to that saying that any pre-existing uh, LGBT marriages, so any existing like gay members who were already married and had families, they could be excommunicated. And that's purely on like a bishop discretion. And so there were gay members who started getting excommunicated in 2015 just because they were already in marriages oh. um because as a mormon if you are gay you are 
allowed to be gay, but you can't hold hands. You can't kiss. You can't do any type of action. Mm. And they call it homosexual behavior, like none of it. Mm. And that's a policy at BYU. That's a policy in their Rexburg and Hawaii campuses. Um, you can be kicked out of school if you get turned in for like kissing your boyfriend, if you are a male. Um, it's very strict. Wow. And you can be barred from having a temple recommend if you have any homosexual relationship, sexual or not, um, even non-sexual relationships, like you can be disqualified from having a temple recommend, which is what you need to go to heaven. Mm -hmm. Um, and so after that policy came out in 2015, it also meant that any children of LGBTQ members cannot be baptized. Uh, they could not be blessed like we do baby blessings mm -hmm. um, where they're just kind of given like promises for, for like talents for the rest of their life. They could not be blessed in public. They could not be baptized at the age of eight. They could only be baptized when they, when those children turned 18 and after they publicly denounced their parents and their family's lifestyle of homosexuality. And this, like they hemorrhaged members for this. Oh, People I can see why. <laughs> yes. Lord. It was, it was kind of like a cultural civil war yeah. in Mormonism. People like were just wow. running out the doors and um, they reversed this policy back in 2019. And in both times, of course, they said like, God told us this is what, this is God's will. <laughs> we were just doing <laughs> what we were told. God's will in 2015 and 2019. It was also God's will. Like, you know, oh, we're so fortunate. We're reversing this policy that yeah. we just made. God changed um, his mind about gay people. <laughs> Yeah. And, and they told us the reason for all of that was because they needed to protect the children from discrimination in um, LGBTQ families in the church that they didn't want to they didn't want to put those families in difficult situations, which is just so backwards. Um, yeah, that's ridiculous. And so and they told us that was like, yeah, that was to protect the children and think of the children. Whatever. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Yeah. Um, wow. That is so, so interesting. I know. So as a result of all of that, actually, the church growth is the slowest it's ever been since 1830, since it was created. It's like 0.05%. It has, because of all these issues that wow. just built up over time. And yeah. the church, is, yeah, it really struggles today now because of. Interesting. That's so, like. I mean, I feel like institutionalized religion as a whole is struggling in our current, um, it is in our yeah. current world, but you know, it, I find it fascinating to hear that a religion like Mormonism, that is, it seems like it's been a very prominent religion mm -hmm. since its inception. And then yeah. to your point, like all the way up until very, very recently. Yeah. Um, and I just, I find it so fascinating that you know, it kind of feels like it's like a, it's like a soda can, right? It just, mm -hmm. it was shaking. They were shaking it and shaking it Many and shaking times. it. Yeah. yeah. And then finally it's just, you know, they did this switch over the course of four years and tried to undo mm -hmm. their mistake and it popped the top off and people are like, no, we see you for what you are. It's kind of like, what that's <laughs> kind of what it feels it like. Is. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's tough. And there's only 5 million active self-identifying Mormons. 
just 5 million. That's like 0.0006% of the earth's population. Right. <laughs> and I think they lose like 200,000 members a year at this point. Wow. It's, it's, what it looks like now is it's dying on a membership level, but mm. they have so much money that yeah. they keep the illusion of prosperity and grandeur. And Right. No, I, I remember you mentioned on our last call that the the Mormon church is one of the richest churches or like institutionalized $150 billion in reserves. Wow. Is that strictly from people's tithing or is that in like other assets? Um, Originally, yeah, it comes from tithing, but over, but they started investing Mm. um, years ago with members tithing. So they have a whole investing profile called Enzyme Peaks, I think. And they have a whole team of investors that are hired by the church to invest their stocks and invest money. And because of that, it just grew astronomically. Yeah. Um, However, they still demand tithing from their members. Oh, Um, naturally. Yeah. (laughs) Why stop taking your money when we can just keep taking your money? I know. And uh, (laughs) like a statistic came out recently that I read that last year Walmart donated more money to charity than the Mormon church has ever donated in its entirety. So (laughs) the people who are listening, my jaw is literally on the floor. That is an incredible (laughs) statistic. It's not a very charitable organization. They give out pennies compared to the wealth that they actually are sitting on. How interesting is that? Is that like doctrinal is that meant because like they need to take care of their own kind of thought or uh from what i've heard the attitude is god needs money in the second coming and uh i don't know why <laughs> i don't know what for what do you mean god needs money but no he doesn't <laughs> uh, provide for the church somehow in the second coming to like provide for members interesting in some way Though they can't right now, <laughs> when members actually could use it, or, right, right, you know, like oh man, yeah, it's so. I mean, that genocide happening in Iraq, and it's fine, right, yeah, or Iran or in Palestine, but it's so. Uh, and this is again that we can have a whole other conversation on this, but it's just so interesting about or to me how obvious it is when in organized religions say they're taking kind of like what we said earlier saying we're taking your money for the the betterment of the church or the you know to go towards the body of god or the our people or to do charity work or mission trips or what have you and then to walk into your like at least for me I'll use my own church's example to walk into my church building and see 300 you know, bright red cloth stadium <laughs> seats, yeah. um, or not 300, I'm sorry, 3000, um, yeah, like the mega churches. Meg, yeah. With a sound system. That's the exact same. That's yeah. inside the Cowboys stadium. Like, oh, cool. um. right. like <laughs> an organ that is the size of a fucking whale. Like it's like, oh yeah, yeah. you're totally using our money for charity. Yeah. And I mean, like you go to Salt Lake city where the, the iconic temple is in downtown Mm. Salt Lake city, the one that looks like the, the big castle plastered all over the propaganda of the church. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and you it's called Temple Square, so it's a gated square with the okay. temple and in a couple other buildings. And you walk around there and there's homeless people on every single street corner begging for money mm. right outside the gate. And it's just it's just right there in your face. Yeah. Like it's it's obvious. This, yeah. Here's 150 billion dollars that they keep throwing into temples that cost like 30 million dollars to construct mm-hmm. all over the world when they can't even fix they have enough money to fix like world hunger at this point yeah they can't even fix the homeless problem right outside literally the gate yeah. of that of that salt lake city temple. yeah if, if there's no clearer image than that i think no there isn't um, so yeah it's just incredibly interesting and frustrating to see yeah. things like that for sure yeah for sure. I mean, I know we've gone over time technically, but like, if you have okay. anything else that you want, if you have anything else you want to talk about, um, I'm like, feel free to, to throw it out there. Otherwise, um, we might have to do a part three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, cause we still didn't even touch on like the, the church's involvement with the legalization of marijuana Oh yeah, and medical marijuana, especially in Utah back in and they got involved with Nevada and Arizona and California legalizing medical marijuana. Mm-hmm. Like and then in 2019, Utah was trying to legalize mar- medical marijuana. And the church got really involved in that. Um, and But that's, you know, like not even as big of a topic as like yeah. you know, equal rights. No, yeah. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like touching on equal rights um, for women and LGBTQ plus is, is a much more, yeah. Prominent topic. Well, for sure. you know, like if you ever want to do a part three, um, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of background with civil rights for mm. people of color. Yeah. That the church has had a huge history with and not mm. a good way. Yeah. Um, and all of that precedes even, even like the, the ERA that we talked about um, right. and how they like were really pro segregation laws and even Brigham Young founding Utah instituted segregation laws and and mm. slavery laws um and how they didn't give equal um like access to covenants so marriages and um endowments in the temple to their uh black members until 10 years after the civil rights movement wow um, they still did not have um just equality of opportunity and yeah um so there's I mean, that's a lot of history there for sure. It's own episode for sure. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, I, that's like, and and those tensions still exist today. I mean, there's still, it's, it's still there, you know, especially, and and now the church has been trying to get on good terms with NAACP Mm. uh, because of their racist history, the church's racist history. Yeah. Um, but, and they deny all of it to this day. Like they don't, they deny (laughs) that it ever happened for 150 years. Um, so yeah, no, we'll definitely you let me it. know. We'll definitely do an episode on that for sure. <laughs> okay. Um, because that, yeah, that's amazing. That's the dirty details. <laughs> yes, I need to know. Um, that's yeah. incredible. Well, Kelsey, thank you so much for your insight and the research that you've done on all of this. It's um no problem. Like it is the again, it's the, like I said last week when we did your um your first episode, it's like things like this are the reason why I want to have this podcast. Like these are the conversations that we need to be having around religion that not necessarily like 
not just exposing the church for whatever yeah. issues it has, but just so people can be aware if they, if they aren't not, not right. to say that they need to leave the churches they're in, but just, uh, ed, just yeah. be educated. Like just I mean, know like, what's, what's it's happening. It's just the informed consent, you know, exactly. Are, do you, are you really informed on the church that you are paying money to mm-hmm. and where they're putting that money? Are you really informed with the, the teachings and the history of your organization? Because if you're not informed, are you really a member? Do you even know what you believe? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. My philosophy with religion is I don't care if you're a part of a religion an institutionalized religion, like as long as you are completely informed on it, as long as you know exactly what you believe and exactly what you're giving yourself to your money to your life to, um, it's that, and you are 100% in great. Amazing. Yeah. I support you in that. Um, and I respect you for it, but make sure you're a hundred percent educated yeah. on the, on, on those things. I so. agree. Oh, thank you so much again for an amazing conversation. We're going to have two more at least. Yeah. <laughs> I hope that like it was good and oh, yeah. that I would explain things well enough. Oh, absolutely. No, I think, and again, what's great is that even if there are, because we're not experts on it, you're becoming an expert. Right. But um, <laughs> I'm not but, in political science. <laughs> right. And like, I think we've, if, if nothing else, like I said, this just gives people a jumping off point. Like it, yeah. they can go off and do their own research. They can go off and look these things up and read on it themselves. And um, yeah. and I think that's that's more important than anything else at baseline. So um, yeah, I appreciate you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs>